Happy Monday, Liberty Kitty Cats. Before we get into today's episode, I got to make sure that you realize that you could have actually produced today's episode as one of our great listeners, great fans, and great sponsors, Zach from Lorenzati, Italy, did today. He set us up for the topic. I chose the guests who you'll be hearing from in just a few minutes, but this is all a perk of his membership at our Patreon, the Lions of Liberty Pride. Zach is a Nittany-level member. For a measly $50 a month, he gets to produce uh, an episode of this program. He's in the rotation to do that with the other producers at that level. Uh, not only that, he gets all the perks of the lower levels, including monthly calls with the Lions of Liberty hosts, free merchandise, uh, audio and video content galore. But do not worry, you do not need to pay $50 a month like this high roller, Zach. Uh, you can do it all for as little as $5 a month. Of course, you don't get to produce an episode at that level, but you do get to support your favorite libertarian podcast. You do get a discount on our merchandise at lionsofliberty.store, and you do get access to all of our bonus content. Check it out at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. Lions of Liberty Podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real-world application from the top minds in the Liberty Movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders, better husbands, better fathers, better friends, better businessmen. We need to be better people. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome, my Liberty Kitties, to another edition of your and mine, all of our flagship Lions of Liberty podcast. Today's guest with me, uh, you are probably familiar with him if you've been uh, listening to this show and if you've been in the Liberty podcasting mix for a while here, he is the host of the On the Run podcast over at the We Are Libertarians Network. He is also my co-host, my partner in comic book crime each and every week on the Second Print Comics podcast, and he is has a recently uh, acquired a new position over at the Badger Institute. I guess we'll uh, we'll ask what that is. I think it's something to do with hunting small rodents, but I'm not entirely sure. Uh, he is actually the digital marketing manager there. I am pleased to welcome back Remzo Martinez. Remzo, are you ready to roar? Baby, I was born roaring. Yeah, you were. Roar! <laughs> I think last time we had you on here, you were helping us review Logan's run. That You know that, mo- that movie just hit like its 40th year anniversary like the other day? From when we're recording this? I just hit my 40th anniversary of Life on Earth not that long ago. Have you gotten your ARP membership at least? (laughs) You're not allowed to bring that joke over here, all right? Sorry. Hashtag crossover. Yeah, this is a a true crossover because as I mentioned, as uh, you guys have probably heard me mention here and there on this podcast, Remzo and I, just about a year ago, I think it is exactly about a year ago when we came up with the idea right in the the middle of the pandemic, when we started the Second Print Comics podcast, uh, where we, why don't you tell tell everybody, what is it? What is the Second Print Comics podcast? What does it mean to you, Remzo? Well, you see, to me, it reminds me of that time that you were in some type of bungalow in Mexico and I was in my basement and we were all avoiding the Rona. And we basically thought that we need to go ahead and bring more cheer and laughter and smiles into the world. And, you know, we do this whole politics thing way too often and it could be a doldrum of feelings. So you went ahead and reached out to me and you were like, I've got this crazy plan. And I was like, you know, I like crazy plans. Does it have to do with comic books? And you're like, oh, my God, you read my mind. (laughs) And that's how the second Brink Comics podcast nation was born where every week we come together for a couple of hours talking about the books that made us laugh cry come together from the artists we'd love and hate alike as we join in fandom with one and all all over al gore's amazing internet mark i think that i think that does it justice i think so too and uh no, I think with our approach, it, there really is something for everyone, because at this point, like comic characters are so much immersed in the culture that even for people that have never picked up a comic, they really know who a lot of these characters are. Like everyone knows who Iron Man is if they'd never walked into a comic book store. Now, everybody knows who Spider-Man is. Everybody knows who the X-Men are. So even if you're not into the the nerdy side of things, uh, you can really go in there and we, we, we treat everything with a blank slate. We act like you don't know anything and we really do deep dives and we have a blast along the way. Uh, but the reason I 
I wanted to bring you on for this uh, episode is because you know one of our listeners, one of our patrons. This is our our Nittany level month where uh, one of our fifty dollar per month patrons gets to take over an episode of the show, send us down whatever path they want. And uh, this week, uh, this month here, it is the turn of our good man Zach over at Lorenzotti Italy, also a sponsor of this episode. Uh, the finest Italian coffees you're going to find can be delivered directly to your door. Don't forget to use promo code. Roar for 10% off your order. And you're going to hear me say that again because I'm going to run an ad a little later in the show. But um, do not forget to check out Zach because he is really this. He's the sponsor of the show and he is the producer of this week's episode. And Zach really wanted me to uh, dive into some ideas about how we can really get liberty more into the culture and into out there in the culture, out there in the world, uh, because he, he really sees all these opportunities right now where he knows there's a lot of people that are really feeling sour about uh, the COVID stuff, about about lockdowns. A lot of people are, are primed for being open to these ideas if we can just get them to them. And I, I think this is something I've talked about with a number of guests uh, over these last months that I, and I am certainly guilty of this. Uh, I mean, you probably are too in, in your youth, so to speak, your, your way in your youth still. Um, but you know, I think when we first get into these libertarian ideas, we get so excited and we see the truth in them so strongly that we need to just beat everybody we can possibly meet over the head with them uh, until they are just so beaten down that it doesn't even matter what we're trying to sell them on anymore because they're they don't want to buy it because we've just beaten them been beaten them and beaten them so much with the, with the liberty stick so to speak um, that's an approach that I think a lot of people have to work themselves out of uh, and, and it's a probably approach that I took uh, definitely in my early Ron Paul days when I was just sending everybody who did not want to see them uh, Ron Paul videos showing people uh, you know posting them on their MySpace walls to date myself even further um, but it really ultimately when you look at the success of political movements, um, and I would say like the progressive movement in the United States over the last hundred years, absolute smashing success in terms of results. Um, they have changed the culture of the United States, the culture of the of the world in many ways, so that so many things that are completely normal and seem completely normal, they really are far progressive positions or you know positions that progressives have pulled to so far to the progressive side that and for so long that they're not even seen as that. They're seen as normal. And, and I think that's really what has to be done. The culture needs to completely change so that they start to see libertarian ideas, liberty ideas as just normal. They don't see them as something they're being sold on. Yeah, absolutely. Everything, you know, from from at least like a historical sense is from the point of coming from almost always a progressive narrative. I actually think that Oliver Stone's um, History of the United States, I, I don't know if it was if that was the direct title of the documentary. It's on Netflix. Untold Just History, do, I think, something yeah, like that. Yeah, Oliver Stone's Untold History of the United States. It's actually a really good documentary if you're watching it from the point of seeing history from a progressive lens. Because if you actually really want to take his stance on all these major events from like the progressive era over to 9-11, he's almost entirely wrong about almost everything. But then again, you could say the same thing about um, Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States. Howard Zinn's not a historian, but Howard Zinn went ahead and basically wrote um, a book that, while it does have components of history, it's coming from the worldview of, you know, all these people are good, all these people are bad, and therefore you got to burn the system down. He was a member of the Communist Party of the United States. Now his book is actually required reading for most public um, schools in the United States and public universities. So you know, I actually read that book when I was first getting into politics, like not even really into politics. I, I would say when I was in my, uh, I don't know, ex- exploratory phase, when uh, probably in my late teens, early 20s, I started to get that that inkling that a lot of the narratives i've been told and uh you know laid out to whatever had been laid out to me especially in my you know public school history classes were kind of bullshit and they started to sense that bullshit and that really left me open to what seemed like truth to me or or different perspectives of the truth because i would see okay this this stuff that that he's putting out here in this book that this isn't stuff i learned in school this is a totally different perspective and i really appreciated that work for that reason same same reason i appreciated the work of noam chomsky but then somewhere along the way, I also started to realize, wait a minute, these guys are feeding me their own line of bullshit as well. Not that it's bullshit to them necessarily. I think they're true believers, but that every, you know, history is really, is really just the winner's perspective or sometimes the loser's perspective. It's, it's someone's perspective on some events that happen at some time, but those, those events and how they're told to us are always skewed by, by someone's narrative and, and by, they probably by their politics, by their culture, by everything else that, that goes into who they are. 
Yeah, I mean, I've always said that I, I love history, but I hate social studies because when you go ahead and you're taking a social studies course, you're explicitly taking the worldview and mindset from the person that went ahead and wrote the material. Whereas if, if you're actually taking a big historical account into um, you know a certain era or topic, you've got to look at source material. You got to look at hard documents. You got to understand the use of language. You have to understand the whole picture, a survey of the environment. Um, a lot of that stuff is just not involved in social studies. It's these guys are bad. Tell me why they're worse type of situation. And it comes from both ends of the spectrum. But, you know, to say that it's equal on both ends is also just not true, because cons to say that conservatives have equal footing in terms of telling a historical perspective, um, you know, in modern education, like pop culture, entertainment, that, that's just that's just not true. And, and we get that. You know, I, I, I think that, you know, and I might be putting words in your mouth, Mark, but we're kind of right as center compared to a lot of people, especially in the libertarian movement. Uh, take that as you will. You know, I, I used to really reject that those labels. Uh, like I used to kind of buy that line of libertarians are ne neither right nor left. Um, and, you know, we're neither. I don't want to side with anyone. And I don't want to side with anyone in the sense of like a party or anything like that. But I, I have come to accept and maybe it is just because of how much I have come to see those that identify with the left left or those that don't even identify, but are so clearly a part of the left and are influenced by the left, whether they know it or not, that the, the further I go along and see the world unfolding as it has been, it's it's so obvious to me that I'm definitely not that thing that I at some point have to embrace to some extent, because at, at the end of the day, like we are all kind of broken down into conservative or liberal in a, in a sort of a psychological way. I, I mean, I, I'll just I'll, I'll just stop you there for that one. I mean, ultimately, I think it comes down to one thing. It's equality or equity. If you want yeah. equality, you're going to be on a certain area of the spectrum where you're going to go ahead and at least understand how the other side of America thinks. But when you're going for equity, that leads to collectivism. That leads to a whole lot of other problems. It leads to a loss of your identity. It leads to a loss of property. It leads ultimately more violence than a path that goes for equality of opportunity, less equity in terms of the actual outcome you're getting. But but to kind of you know jump jump back to the point though well, that kind of reminds me of the question that, that Michael Malice uh, says to ask you know if you're trying to determine if someone is is a progressive or a liberal you just ask are some people better than others and <laughs> and, and, and a conservative will say yes and a liberal will give you a three hour speech <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think I think he's spot on with that but I mean to to answer your question you know wh when it comes to libertarians we're great with our conferences we're great with our white papers we're great with our lectures we're great with a few of our viral moments. But in terms of actually getting people to listen to us, not because they hate us and they're looking for that juxtaposition moment to go ahead and poke a hole in our argument, but because they genuinely like us and want to hear what we have to say, we failed at that. Conservatives have always traditionally been terrible at that. But libertarians, it's like we see those sparks where it's happening. But overall, we, we always just get back into this idea of, you know, we just need to go ahead and lecture more people and provide them more books. And they just need to, you know, read a, read a couple essays on economics and everything else. If they just get to page 990, of human action, then it's going to click. <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's one of those situations where I, I got to the point and you, you remember this from like my Remster Republic days. Mm -hmm. I, I understood at one point I kind of hit a ceiling and around the time my book stay away from the libertarians came out, I realized that really the only people I was talking with both favorably. And even the people I was arguing with, they were all libertarians. And it got to the point where I'm just like, you know, something's just not working. Something is just not clicking with people. And this output into the world is just kind of getting into the same people. And that's why I really appreciate what you've done over here at Lions of Liberty, because I've been listening to you since college. I, I mean, I've said this on my very first appearance on your show <laughs> I feel so old in 2015, when, <laughs> when I basically- I'm ready for my AARP, uh, my you're, AARP you're, card. He, he's starting to tear up. He's starting to feel the gray hair shoot out. But like- there was no other libertarian podcast. And at the beginning, while it really was a show. People don't believe me when I say that. They're like, okay, yeah, real fun. No, there really wasn't. No, it was like Mark, Mark, it was you <laughs> and it was Tom Woods. And, I and he started a month after me. So yeah, yeah, and I, at one point, and, and I found, me. I found we are libertarians a year later and that was it. That, that, yeah. There were a couple like shooting up here and there, but that, that was it. And, I think Spangle did technically do a couple of podcasts uh, just, just right before we started, but it's he, not, yeah. it's not the libertarian. It's not the, we are libertarians that became, and it's not how it's not wall. Now it was definitely a progression, but really that, that was it. And you know, for, for many years, it was really you trying to create the content that other libertarians wanted. But as your conversations, as your guests, as your topics became more mainstream, you jumped into that. And now you're getting people who aren't always immediately on the Liberty train. 
Chastain, you've had Ben Stein, you've yeah. had other explicit like progressives on your show. You couldn't have done that if you didn't reach out and try and have better conversations with people. Sure. I, had, I think one of the first times I really had someone on that was entirely out of the Liberty uh, bubble was when I invited Sam Sater on and he had already debated a couple libertarians. My, my show with him wasn't so much of a debate. We did go kind of back and forth. It, on it, things, it was but... conversational and that's exactly. not what a lot of people were expecting. I remember right. in the comments in the, in the lines of Liberty forum, people were like, Mark, why didn't you do this? Mark, why didn't you call him out on that? And it's like, that wasn't the point. Yeah. And anybody who's listened to me, like I don't, even it doesn't matter if I agree with my guest or not. This is just how I approach a podcast. Anyway, when I'm bringing on a guest, they're my guest. And I mean, I take that word very seriously. Like if I invited someone to my house I, and I, even if we got into a conversation about politics, I would not start berating them. If I disagreed with what they were saying, I would just have a friendly conversation with them and treat them as my guest. So, and a lot of, you know, and that, that might not be everybody's style and that's fine. There's other people that will, you know, scream at people. And if you want to hear those people, go check them out. They do good work too. But that's, that's not my role. That's not my style. Uh, but I do always want to bring on people that are that have ideas that I don't necessarily agree with because I want these idea ideas to be vetted. And yeah, I think my own progression, like now, it's it's like you're saying, like I can I had Ben Stein on, and it, you know, it was did great, got great downloads, got a ton of positive feedback, mostly positive feedback. Because at the end of the day, I noticed like the negative Nancys, they really are a small but loud minority. And, you know, I, I get far more positive con com comments about almost everything. But, you know, there are there are always the nitpickers out there, the ones that will say, you know, why would you even have Ben, ben Stein on? Is he even a libertarian? I'm, I think he's a neocon. I think he wants to like and and maybe you could categorize him as that. But this show is not called Lions of Only Speaking to People who are libertarians all right it's called lions of liberty and the lions of liberty are me and brian odie and the three of us are even different amongst ourselves and we're all going to have different approaches to things and we're all trying to have conversations with interesting people uh, more so than just specifically about the ideas of liberty especially now as and this, this relates right into our conversation about how to get more our ideas more into the culture of people because that is how to actually and that's one way anyway is to actually engage with other people who don't agree with you treat them respectfully you know, I had Ben Stein on and, uh, you know, we, we didn't, we, it wasn't even really a political conversation. It really is more just about life and his own life. And who, and I just find his life so incredibly fascinating. And I hope that people take, you know, lessons from him just about how he's lived his life, not necessarily about his political beliefs, but having that conversation with him. And he enjoyed that conversation so much that the next day, uh, his, um, partner, his co-host Judah contacted me and said, Ben really loved the interview. He'd love to bring you on his show. And then I got to go on Ben Stein's show along with, uh, uh our friend Gary Collins. And he brought, myself uh, and Gary on to be the libertarians who were representing um, the, uh, you know, basically why, you know, drug legalization being against the drug war, which he is, is pretty much in favor of. Did I go on his show and start screaming at him and calling him a status and a bootlicker? No, uh, because what would that have done other than, well, it wouldn't even make me feel good, but I mean, it might make some other people feel good if I did that. But, but, but it was that show of good faith. Right. Exactly. How many people who have never heard those ideas spoken coherently, how many of those people who have never heard about lines of liberty have now been exposed to it? All right. And that doesn't mean those people are going to become overnight libertarians, but they might start to set, to see someone like me, someone like Gary Collins, who's extremely successful in his own life, and hear us say things that might sound a little crazy to them, but at the same time, they're seeing us have completely respectful conversations. Uh, they're seeing us talk to Ben Stein, someone that maybe they've been a fan of for a long time, maybe they, they just know him from Ferris Bueller or what have you, and they say, well, okay, they, they, it's, it's kind of, it really is in many ways just the image you present, because when you're interacting respectfully, with someone who is well respected in in the political world in the cultural world as ben stein is that does up the respect that others are going to show what you say and your ideas so we might see people like ben stein if you're if, if you're me eight years ago you might just look at ben stein and say this neocon he wants to do this and this and that um but if if we want to just you know have a sh an interview where I rant against Ben Stein. A, he's not going to come on my show again. Uh, B, uh, no, I don't treat people that way anyway. So I, I don't even want to treat him that way as a human. But C, just in terms of getting our ideas out there, that would be counterproductive to getting our ideas out there. Yeah. Um, whereas building that relationship, having a respectful conversation that he really enjoyed, that opened up a bridge to who knows who else. You know, like you said, we don't always see the immediate fr fruits of our labor. It, it's a lot of it is just. 
just planting these seeds out there and planting them in a way that other people might just pick them up and they're going to be more willing them to, to pick them up depending on the package that they're they're packaging if they're in the ben if they're in the ben stein package maybe they like ben stein so maybe they they pick it up open that package and get a little surprise in there a little libertarian surprise yeah i i i i, I mean what you just said is a hundred percent spot on i mean it, it's one of the reasons why they keep kind of bringing me back on the show is kind of like you know the the antagonist in some cases not that mm-hmm. i'm being argumentative but like you know at the very beginning i was on the first episode of the world according to ben stein i'm on pretty much weekly now uh like last couple of weeks i wasn't on because i was moving and stuff but like over the course of the conversations we've been having let's talk about the stuff that they asked me hey what do you want to talk about what should we talk about give us a counter opinion to what you think Ben would have on this. We've spoken about the fallacies of the Federal Reserve. We've spoken about blockchain and Bitcoin. We've spoken about um, you know constitutional carry, gun ownership without restriction. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about you know states really taking back their Tenth Amendment rights to fight against you know federal corruption, things like that. And I said on the show, what if like libertarians took over the Utah government? And then went ahead and cut off water to all the C- all the NSA server facilities in in the state of Utah that f- that basically create the apparatus of the NSA because everyone thinks it's over in just in Maryland, but actually the server farms in Utah. I'm like, what if we cut off the water? And everyone's like, what the hell are you talking about? But there's a real like, movement oh, to do that uh, a, few, a few years Michael, ago. I Mike, think Michael was... Bolden really pushed that at the Tenth yeah. Amendment Center. He was he said that, and I remember like, what can can you do that? And we got to get Bolden on with Ben Stein, man. I think he'd, he'd have a that blast would on be there. that 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 would be awesome. We got we got to make that happen. But Once like Michael those, recovers from his show with Brian last week when he was uh well. I'll, I'll, let's just say uh, behind the scenes somewhere he got a little drunk let's just Oof. well i mean <laughs> th- things like that would have never happened otherwise right and it's those conversations they're finally being exposed to people whether they agree with me or not you know i think most most of the people kind of like me i get a lot of mean comments but a majority of the people are like you know what remso's kind of onto something and these aren't my ideas these are ideas that we've taken as we stand on the shoulders of giants and we've had a big responsibility and this is our life mark like what, what you guys have done with Lines of Liberty. I mean, look at me. I think I'm, I'm pretty much like your greatest student. My entire <laughs> life has been influenced by this. I'm in Wisconsin now. I'm a Southerner up here. Do you know how weird it is sometimes? But it, it's one of those things where it's like you go where the movement takes you and you go where your conscience is leading you to do the right thing. And whether it's this, and especially if Second Print Comics, I mean, Second Print Comics was not meant to just be like a subliminal messaging program. It's actually not that at all. But like, you know, one of our, one of our, I think probably at least my favorite episode was one of our early ones, Secret War by Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. You want to talk about a book? And I read this when I was about 12, 13 years old. You want to talk about a book written from a liberal, Brian Michael Bendis, where it gives one of the best cases for a non-interventionist foreign policy. Oh my God, how many people within our, our listenership over there who are Republicans, who are Democrats, Libertarians, don't even care, had a conversation about that for the first time. And universally, they were like, you know, one way or another, this is one of the best books I've ever read. Yeah, and uh, I'll post a link to that episode uh, in, in today's show notes over over at lionsliberty.com because that, that's a book that I think was literally our second episode. Uh, and it was a I book had that, to get that early on. Yeah, it was a book that I had never read before. And, and like you said, like second print comics, it, we did not start it to say, okay, here's our our secret plan to invade the mostly progressive comic book community and and subliminally brainwash them with our libertarian ideas that's not the plan at all um and that's the point because if that was the plan then it wouldn't work um the plan was literally to create a comic book podcast that we would like and i think this just goes to anything you create whether it's a podcast or a youtube video or something else you should create something that you would really want to listen to and i actually a, because I edit the episodes, so I do hear them a couple times. I hear them when we do them, hear them when we edit them. But I actually listen hear to the episodes. I listen while I sleep. <laughs> I actually listen to our own episodes even after the fact because I want to make sure they're meeting my standard of do I want to listen to this? Like if I if I didn't if I wasn't the host and I wasn't promoting this podcast, would I want to listen to it? And the answer is yes. So and and not because of its politics, because we don't. The show is not a political show at all. It's not even a subliminally political show. Uh, it only is in the sense that Remzo and I are who we are, and 
you know, our, our opinions might come out naturally. So, you know, we don't hide our opinions, but we're not trying to put them there. We're just, they're coming out in the natural course of conversation. And I think a lot of our presumptions about what, what goes into our beliefs and, and our beliefs that always filter into our reviews in some way or another, you know, that that's just what comes out naturally. And that makes it seem natural because it is, <laughs> that, that's the point. Uh, you can't, you can't kind of wedge it in there and, and try to like, like, you know, sneak it in. Like you're acting naturally. You can't act naturally. You have to actually be natural. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where it, it bleeds out in, in the oddest of ways. And I mean, I looked back at, you know, just the first year's worth of episodes as we hit our one year anniversary of Second Print Comics. And Mark, there's a common theme that even I didn't really notice. The stories, and this is why I think universally it's, it's an authentically American genre. I think it's something that speaks to the to, to the inner nerd and maybe even the inner child in a lot of people. But these stories, I mean, they're, they're about individuals overcoming amazing odds. It's about individual identity over groupthink. It's about fighting institutions that other people don't want to go near. It's about taking chances on things that are going to give better opportunities for people. It's about sacrifice. It's about moral conviction. It's about heroism. That stuff isn't a libertarian thing, but it's a uniquely individual thing that speaks to all of us because it's why this genre is so big now. I mean, I remember reading comics in like eighth grade and like, you know, women weren't throwing me their cell numbers. I'll put it that way. And now you go out and you'll see a hot chick. It was pager where, numbers back in my day, but uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. You're, you're so old, Mark. But like, you know, there, there are Just hot kidding. women Chicks now. Just pagers. Just eh. my ne'er-do-well friends. Uh, right, whatever you want to say, make yourself feel better. But like now you got hot women wearing like Iron Man t-shirts and stuff like that. Yeah. Like the world has changed and the nerds have taken over. That's like, you know, part of like meandering back. Yes. Man, always meandering back to the, to the theme that Zach sent us down here though. But that's, you know, that's part of being in the culture is, is being a part of that culture. And like, I've been a part of comic book culture, not in a media sense, but in terms of my immersement in the culture, uh, since I was 13 years old. Uh, so, and I've, I've, you know, I've, I've meandered in, meandered out. Uh, but it's, it's always something that's been there. It's always been a passion of mine. Same thing for you. Uh, so like my desire to start the comic book podcast came from my desire to get into that segment of the culture and influence the culture in that way. Um, influence it with my opinions about, um, you know, what, what, what books I think are great uh, and the kind of stuff I want people to read, the kind of stuff I want people to get interested in talking about. Uh, and through that, you know, through elevating our status in that different segment of the culture where we're not there to be political and don't get me wrong. These lines can be crossed because if, you know, we all have Twitter accounts, if, a, if, a, if we get some followers that followed us from second print, it's possible they'll see some, some shit they weren't expecting <laughs> the writer for the writer for DC comics, new static shock series, which I was genuinely excited about, you know, the milestone comics are returning. She blocked me on Twitter and it's like, lady, I would have bought your stuff if you hadn't done that. And you what never even interacted with that person right? ever. I think yeah. I was on a block list where it's like, you know, this person's a hateful, bigoted, white supremacist Nazi. And I don't want to do it. Despite the fact where I would have been like, you know, I'll, I'll buy your book. I like static shock too. All right, guys, I got to take a quick break to tell you about our newest sponsor. And that is our good friend, the man himself, Top Lobster. This guy produces the most amazing, most original, most graphically pleasing Liberty gear you're going to find anywhere. I personally have the legalized freedom hat. I have the Scott Horton and the Wars shirt. I also have a uh, disobey your local tyrant with a uh, Gavin Newsom on it. The Top Lobster sent me as well, personalized just for me. Uh, you are not going to find cooler Liberty gear anywhere. So right now, if you are a fan of this show, I want you to support our sponsor. You need to head over, stop stop this very podcast, head over to Top Lobster, that's Lobster, L-O-B-S-T-A dot com, browse everything over there, I guarantee you're going to find something you love, and then all you gotta do is use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order, that's discount code ROAR for a smooth 10% off, everybody wins, you get cool gear, you get to support a sponsor, that sponsor supported us, supports us, this is how the free market works, my friends, so please head over to toplopsa.com, and don't forget to use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order. Well, speaking of being blocked by comic book creators, I didn't tell this story on the podcast because I keep the podcast oh, non-political, but do now it. we're not on that podcast, so guess what? <laughs> 
it's a whole different world now. I can say whatever I want here. And uh, I actually was blocked uh, maybe about a month or so ago by my personal favorite comic book creator, uh, a fellow by the name of Eric Larson. Uh, he is the creator of Savage Dragon, a comic book uh, that came from Image Comics. It was, uh, for those not in the know, uh, Image Comics was created when basically a, a group of uh, seven super hot rogue um, uh, artists left Marvel Comics together, formed their own comic book company, and they all started their own books. Uh, that's that's the very short version of it. The, the probably most well-known of those uh, would be Todd McFarlane, creator of Spawn. I'm sure almost everyone has probably heard of, and Rob Liefeld, creator of Youngblood. But right behind them and, and ahead of them in terms of my, my own personal fanhood was Eric Larson, who created the, the book uh, Savage Dragon, which I, I read that book literally since issue one. That book is still going today. Uh, I think it just it hit issue 250-something or other. Uh, so, I mean, this this book has been part of my life, uh, literally for like you know nearly 30 years here. And, uh, you know, so I follow a, a number of my uh, favorite comic creators on Twitter. And uh, I, I've always known, because he, he doesn't hide it. Like, talking about being subtle, uh, Eric Larson is not being subtle about putting his politics into his comic books. He really forces his, his politics into his comic books. And oddly enough, it's never really bothered me. Um, I mean, to the point that, like, he had Savage Dragon um, endorse, I think he endorsed, like, Al Gore. Then he endorsed, uh, like, the character endorsed Barack Obama. There was a, a part where he, uh, one era where he, like, got into, he took out George Bush. Uh, you know, so he, he's always coming from that side where Democrats, progressives, the left are the good guys, obviously, and are portrayed as obviously the good guys and obviously correct. Um, and the conservatives or what have you um, are, are the bad guys. And that's just that's his worldview. But it's never bothered me because it's his worldview and his worldview is reflected in his main character. And that's fine because if I write a, a book, a character that I, I've you know created when I was a kid, and that character is essentially my avatar, and it's it's probably going to represent a lot more of, of my views too. So that's actually never bothered me at all because because it's so on the surface. It's just like he's not trying to be subtle. He's not saying he's not trying to sneak in his progressive positions. He's blatantly telling you, and it's always been there, and I've always accepted it. I mean, it's also his thing, though. I mean, yeah. I think there's there's often this this misconception of, you know, the, the people in comic books who are like, don't change characters. Oh, they're messing up characters. It's like, you know, Savage Dragon is always like that. It, it's like, you know, I, I, I talk about Iceman and John Constantine in terms of like the sexual identities of characters that the woke mob keeps jumping after. It's like, mm -hmm. I've, you know, John Constantine Hellblazer is bisexual. Like, he's always been that way since day one. No one has ever been confused about that. So you make John Constantine like that, you throw in the jokes, you, you add other characters who are love interests, it's like, it's John Constantine. That's who he is. No problem. But then when you make Iceman a character who's been around for like 60 plus years, he's a notorious Iceman, one of the original X-Men uh, for those, you know, that aren't nerds like yeah. us. Like, I, I feel like I'm speaking a different language sometimes. Yeah, it, no, we have, we have to remember we can't, you know, we're, we're, we have to use a little of our comic Chinese and, and translate it down <laughs> to down to normie just a little bit. Yeah, but but like Iceman, who's been around for like sixty years, who's a who's a who's like a you know a manly guy, who's a womanizer, and all these things. They they did two things, and you know it wasn't the fact that when they made him gay in the comics and said that this is permanent, that's not the part that made a lot of people upset. It's the problem that they use that to change his entire identity. He's effeminate. He's a bit more cowardly. He doesn't act the same. And what were we told? This is Iceman now. Deal with it, bigot, or stop buying the book. And it's just like, you know, you could have made another character or you could have taken like, you know, there's an obscure character, Alan Scott, like the very first Green Lantern. He's not very popular. He hasn't really been around for much. And recently they kind of came out with the fact that, oh, he, he's coming out as gay. And it's like, you know what, for him, that's fine, because as a personality that the character is attached to. You could have gone that way, and that makes sense. When you do things that make sense to the characters, when you do things that make sense to the stories, whether it's gender swapping, race swapping, sexual identity, all this other stuff, that's not what bugs readers. What bugs them is when you completely change who the character is at their core, and then you say, we're never going back, and then you attack your readers. Yeah, I think when it came to the Alan Scott uh, reveal, that, that was pretty recent. Literally, it was done, no one was like, yeah, okay. 
Yeah, no, no one cared. There was no uproar. No one cared. But it, it, was, it was like just like a bleep. But, uh, you know, for that character, it actually worked and made sense because you could, you could believe it. And it didn't feel like it was fundamentally altering who the character was because this was a guy. He was like, you know, it was a scene where he's telling his kids, like, look, I've always been this way. Like, I, I never you know, could say it. You know, it was actually like it was a decent little scene that they put in there uh, into this infinite, infinite, infinite frontier comic that's setting up all these new directions for various characters. Uh, but with Iceman, this is a character that for like 30 years has been basically like this you know horny teenager hitting on you know had girlfriends and went out with chicks and all this stuff so then suddenly to, to one day but say like oh by the way this guy's gay always has been and if you don't like it then get out of here it just doesn't make sense so it's not about representation um it, it i mean it has become about that for so many stories where that's the only thing that matters the only thing that matters is inserting uh x y and or z um religion sexual orientation race whatever it may be and then making that what the story is about and this is something that eric july uh you know talks to uh, talks about all the time and we should probably you know either do a show with him about, about this very subject on, on one of these podcasts but you know i mean his big gripe is like it's not that we're i mean he sees it as demeaning like it's it's demeaning to take a character and make their entire identity oh i'm black or oh i'm this it's completely demeaning whereas if you if you want to bring a new character if you think there's not enough representation because you know th- let's be honest the most comics the classic characters were all created in the 1930s 1940s 1950s and they're all white dudes so i totally get that when you're in 2020 you maybe you and your audience is obviously uh very different than, than just a bunch of white dudes you want to create characters that maybe more of your audience will connect with and i think that that is a perfectly uh logical business strategy um but when it's forced into old characters or when characters are created that that's their only identity it's disrespectful to the characters and it's disrespectful to the people you're supposed to be trying to represent I think the only hard stance where we're like, listen, you're either ride or die that we have taken on second print comics has been the defense of the hero's journey versus the victim's journey. Yes. And I think this is one of those things where if like, if let's say we had started with, oh, this is a political show about comics, no one would have ever listened to us. But because we built up credibility, because we put in the work, because we developed relationships and trust with people, we were able to show a little bit more about the things we believe in. And, you know, like, I think that was actually something you got into on a bonus show on our, on our Patreon. I'm not even sure if that was on our, our public podcast or not. Hey, pa- patreon.com slash second print pod. Subtle plug. I, yeah, I, I'm but, subtle with my politics and my plugs. <laughs> I, I, I brought this up recently. We were talking about like the J.J. Abrams abomination with his son, but like, and I think it's blend a few other times. But yeah, I did bring it up on a Patreon episode of the rants I do there weekly. But like, you know, the hero's journey, we all know it. Person goes from obscurity trying to find their place in the world. They're, they encounter a challenge. They go on a journey. They question themselves. They make a recomm- they, they fall a little bit. They make a recommitment to their standards. They achieve it. Then they go back to the, where they came from, a changed person for the better. They, they have to evolve. Whereas the victim's journey, you see this with Ray with Star Wars, and you see this mm-hmm. with who I think is like the worst comic book creation of all times, who's I, who I sadly... Who I know who this is. Yeah, <laughs> who's sadly also written by one of my favorite writers, Brian Michael Bendis, is Riri Williams' Ironheart. Riri Williams is like the antichrist of comic book characters. <laughs> I, I think that's like the most specific way I can get. She's the antichrist of comics. And that's the nicest thing you've ever said about her. Ever. Ever. But, but she is the victim's journey. She was always great. She wasn't appreciated. She wasn't appreciated by those around her. She had to bring other characters down beneath her to make herself better. And then because she goes ahead and basically inherits all the things that another hero has done, Tony Stark, Iron Man, um, she is instantly treated by that society, the Marvel Universe, as a better hero on a moral level and on a axe level, despite the fact that morally they really have no standards. And in terms of action, they haven't done anything. But if you dare say that she's not the best thing ever created, you're you're all these terrible things. And Tony Stark is nothing compared to Riri because Tony Stark got everything because he's a straight white millionaire male who is also an arms dealer who, despite everything good he's done in the world, is inherently flawed and has no redeeming values. Whereas Riri is just great because she's just great. And you need to accept that. Yeah. And you mentioned another one, which I think is probably the perfect example of this concept of the victim's journey. Is is Ray from our friend J.J. Abrams, uh, who we recently did a whole a whole podcast, basically just uh, demolishing him and his son's attempt to write a Spider-Man book. Uh, but his his uh, you know new Star Wars films, where I mean that is 
her entire quote unquote journey is a victim's journey. It's that she was, she's just special. She's born great. She has to go through nothing and everything, every success she has is due to the failings of some idiot man, whether it's Luke Skywalker completely falling off his shit. Um, the, the path has been laid for her, uh, but she herself doesn't actually have to go through anything. She's just great. She's just there already. Great. In the very first star Wars, she takes on Kylo Ren and nearly kills him. Uh, this guy who's like a master, you know, master trained Jedi where she hadn't had no training whatsoever. Uh, so she's just instantly great. Not like Luke who actually did go through a journey over the course of those three films where he actually saw his evolution. No, with Ray, she's instantly great. And it's the same thing again. If you disagree with that, at least in certain circles, uh, it's because you're a bigot. You don't want to see a female succeed. And no, I'm more than happy to see a female succeed. Can you please give her a good story? My favorite Star Wars film is actually Rogue One. Jyn Erso, I was upset that they killed her at the end. I wanted to at least, you know, kill her eventually, but like that was such a great cast. And that's why I'm so excited for the Andor limited series on Disney Plus, where we get to see, um, uh, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's Diego Luna. I might be wrong about that. Who, who's Cassie and Andor. Yeah, who, yeah, by, the, by the way, for once we have, we have a Spanish actor who's a Spanish character in a film who doesn't have to start off as a criminal. No one ever gave him <laughs> enough credit for that. But, but it's like, you know, Jin has the hero's journey. I, I remember sitting in theaters. Um, I think of, you know, the Christmas before the, or during the plague or something where rises, where the rise of Skywalker came out I'm watching it with my brother. And there's a scene early in the film where, um, Poe, Dameron, who's probably the only interesting character in the entire new franchise, is like, Ray, we need you. You're the best fighter in the resistance. And we we turn to each other in our seats and we're like, can you name a moment where Ray actually did anything? Like anything of value that actually like really helped people? We never saw any of it on screen. And I guess the most we could give them credit for is maybe we're supposed to imagine that between those two movies that happened, except all these movies basically take place back to back to back. So yeah, when did this happen? It never did. They reference events that never freaking occurred to make this character sound more heroic and sound, you know, like, like more of a hero instead of just actually having us see a journey from her. And that, this is something that's become so prevalent in the culture. And, uh, you know, it, it very is, it very much is. Um, and, and it's, and whatever oh yeah we're on lines of liberty we're fine it, it very much it much is an, an anti anti-patriarchy um a theme because the it, it, it what what they always show you with these victims journeys is that this person is great they're always great why because they're female um why are why are they going through anything because of some stupid man who um you know who, who's fallen off or you know couldn't accomplish his journey and this person had to step in to pick it up uh and and the only journey they go on is seeing is is rising due to the failure of a bunch of men around them and i think that that is so exactly what the character of ray is in star wars um and but you know it's this attack on on to me the attack on the patriarchy is like like i don't like the idea of a patriarchy in terms of you know men lording over women or, or any of this stuff but the attack is really more on like i'm seeing it more as like an attack on like the concept of the family the concept of of, of a patriarch of the family in terms of leadership in terms of you know foster a, a man that you know fosters and nurtures their children uh that that is a leader that shows that is heroic in in how they carry out their own lives and then how they yeah. protect their own family so that, that that's what it's an attack on yeah i mean absolutely i mean we see it everywhere else everyone is a hero by being a victim, you're a hero. By being a survivor, you're a hero. And don't get me wrong, people show heroism by going through obstacles. Just by being a victim of something terrible does not make you inherently a hero. Just by surviving something terrible does not make you a hero. The The victim's journey is antithetical to the hero's journey. And with characters like Riri, Ironheart, whatever, with characters like Rey, and with many others I can bring up, they're not heroic because of heroic actions, because of heroic deeds, because of a heroic heart. They're heroic because they had to to tear down your heroes to make them stand upon their graves. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, overall, this is why I love about second print. This is why I love comics and all this stuff. This is why I love sci-fi. It's because we can have conversations like this in, you know, a quote unquote safe space through the realm of fiction. Right. Through, through Lord of the Rings. I mean, what, what I loved about that is, you know, as a Christian, th there's a lot of biblical messaging in that. No one too few. No I one think that's too putting short. it lightly a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, no one, no one is perfect enough, but together when you're united for a common heroic cause that is selfless in nature, you can, you can overcome all odds. And that's seen throughout so many other things. You know, Superman is a story of a, of a, of a refugee. Superman is also a story about achieving the American dream. 
He's an undocumented immigrant. Yeah, and he chooses the American identity, and he becomes the symbol of America. Peter Parker is a story about the, the, the last person you would ever, ever assume could be a hero becomes one of the best. X-Men is a civil rights story. Mm -hmm. What I'm getting at is, you know, these, these aren't just stories for kids. They take on a life of their own, and that's why these stories are the modern American mythology. And I say it's uniquely American. And, you know, people can say what they want about that, but it has infected the world for the better. And we're having conversations, and we're able to look at these themes and really remember who these great heroes are. And, I mean, it's like one of the reasons why I was in line for Black Panther on day one in IMAX. It's an amazing story. Not because T'Challa happens to be a black character, not because of this, but because T'Challa is a hero. He inspires heroism in others. And... You, you see the hero's journey through him from when he, premier, when he first appeared in Captain America Civil War to, you know, his own film. That's why, you know, for, and, you know, if, if I'm getting too ahead, Mark, stop me. But that's why I think that, that's why I think not that. Not at all. Not recasting a male actor to take the place of T'Challa in the upcoming uh, Black Panther Wakanda Forever film is a mistake. Because everyone from Ryan Coogler, who I think is an amazing director, to some of the other writers have basically said, you know, T'Challa had his time. Maybe it's time we look beyond a man. And it's like, no, you're not just replacing a man. You're replacing the person. And as much as I think Chadwick Boseman was one of the was probably the greatest actor of my generation, not lifetime, but generation in terms of younger actors who came from obscurity and just skyrocketed. I mean, I remember watching Get On Up. Like, that's an amazing film. And then he did um, uh, the, the one where he was the Supreme Court justice and stuff like that. Like, you know, I, I I'm not I, sure I've seen a single Chadwick Boseman film besides oh, Black man, Panther. You got it. You got to watch. Get send on me a, send me a watch list. I'll check a few out. I, I, I will. I will send you a couple of those films. Uh, the five bloods was not that great on Netflix. I wouldn't recommend that. But like uh, Thurgood uh, or Marshall, it's one where he's Thurgood Marshall, the Supreme Court justice. But like, you know. Yeah, uh, as much as is it as much as it is sad that we lost Chadwick Boseman the man, that doesn't mean we need to kill T'Challa the character because now it came from oh well he had his hero's journey now we can go on a victim's journey that's that that's just reversing and now he can get replaced by the character that just has to step in because he had to fail and for no other other reason yeah it, it's it, it it's uh it, it would be a stain on the on the on the mcu legacy on his legacy as an actor i think that i think it's just a terrible decision all right guys before we wrap up here i gotta let you know about one of our great sponsors our longtime sponsors at lauren zadi italy if you are a fan of coffee if you like a nice fresh cup of joe to wake up in the morning as i do you're gonna want to check out our friends at lauren zadi italy they deliver fine premium italian coffee is right to your door in these nice little tins that look so wonderful sitting on your counter there. And if that weren't all enough, these guys are great libertarians. They are Patreon supporters of this show. They are absolutely worthy of your support. If that all wasn't enough, these guys do more than just sell coffee. They also help other entrepreneurs set up their own coffee businesses, help them acquire equipment, acquire financing, everything they need to start their own coffee business, start their own coffee shops. So you definitely want to check them out for that reason, if that's something that's been on your mind. Either way, just fantastic fantastic people at Lorenzotti Italy. Amazing people, fantastic people. You'll want to support them if you're fans of the show. Heck, even if you're not, if you're listening to this by accident, check them out anyway. They have great coffee. Lorenzotti Italy. You can find them at lorenzotti.coffee. That's L-O-R-E-N-Z-O-T-T-I dot coffee. And you do not want to forget your Lions of Liberty listener discount. Just use discount code ROAR for 10% off your order. I just realized I never even finished telling my story about uh, Eric Larson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, got on, we got on some tangents, as we are known to do, as we do whenever we get together on the Second Print Comics podcast. So it's very appropriate. Uh, but um, I just pulled up my Substack post where I, I talked about this. So uh, yeah, while I'm plugging, subscribe to my sub Substack. You already you would already know this story. That, that story, I, I subscribe to your Substack, Mark, because obviously we, we have to interact in every way imaginable <laughs> because we have no other friends in our life. But like, you know, that was probably that like, Sometime. That that was like the funniest thing you've written. That was <laughs> All I really did was hilarious. post the tweets with with you know a little bit of snark. I'll link okay, to I'll, this. As I'll well. shut up. I'll shut up. Keep going. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll link to this in today's <laughs> show notes as well too. But but what happened was Eric Larson tweeted, "COVID nineteen is not something you want to mess with." I have no, I guess I have no problem with that statement. Get vaccinated. Part two. Okay, this is in May May twenty twenty. 
And I responded as I, you know, might to anybody who I follow on my timeline, because, you know, I'm not one to try to like get into it with comic creators about politics. But if you're going to put something out there and you're going to make a statement, a statement that I actually feel if everybody takes your statement as a face value could actually harm people. I really think that that I mean, I don't want to get into a whole debate about vaccines, but it's indisputable that some people have had adverse side effects and that some people have died due to vaccines. So you are here giving advice and stating it plainly as fact. Um, so I, I take issue to that with that and I'm going to respond to it. And I, I would, if it was Eric Larson and I, I probably would, if it was a random person that said the same thing, but it happened to me, Eric Larson. Uh, and so I responded, I subtweeted him. I said, a weak immune system is not something you want to mess with. By the way, look, I'm not here to shame people. I'm just saying, I don't know if, if Eric Larson is in, in the best shape. I don't know if he you know works out that often. I don't know if he eats good. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't. I'm just saying. Uh, a weak immune system is not something you want to mess with. Lose weight, gain, get plenty of sun, fresh air, and quality sleep. Um, I, and I was just, you know, it was it was snarky, but not really, because it is actually is good advice. You should actually, it's you're, good you're, advice. You're for poking the bear a bit. I'm poking the bear, but I'm poking the bear truthfully. And then Eric Larson subtweets me, and he says, whenever I hear a response like this, it sounds like this to me. And he puts in quotes, a bullet is not something you want to mess with. Lose weight, get plenty of sun, fresh air, and quality sleep. And I just snarkily replied that back, yeah, because getting shot is just like getting COVID. <laughs> and then I went to go see what if he was responding to me. And that's when I saw the <laughs> screenshot. Eric J. Larson has blocked you. Wah, 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 wah. Did you frame it? I should frame it, actually. I have, I have the screenshot. <laughs> I really should. <laughs> I even posted, I have great respect for Eric Larson, the creator, and very little for Eric Larson, the man. Which might be going a little far, but it's just Twitter. Whatever. I would still shake his hand if I met him in person. And then I'd be like, still by the way, you, you blocked me on Twitter. That says enough. Exactly. Um, but yeah. I don't know what the point of that story is other than it's fun to it's fun that we live in a world when you can regularly interact with people that create like the idea of me like talking in some way, shape or form with a creator of a comic book when I was like 13 would seem absurd. Like the best we could do, you would write a letter into the book and maybe they published the letter, but you're not interacting with that person. And like now I can actually like argue with (laughs) with my comic creators online. They can block me. Uh, It's just really interesting. The world we live in now compared to the one that I lived in all those ancient, ancient uh, years ago. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's just, it's just one of those other things where I think as content creators, we, we have an obligation to be, a, I'm, I'm not going to say we have a, a higher standard for how we should conduct ourselves, but like you've never, out unless you have and I'll know about it, you've never blocked somebody just because of a difference of opinion. No, I can definitely say I have not. I, I rarely block anybody from anything. Um, like maybe I can count three people I've blocked. Like it, if you're really harassing me in my in my instant messages, that's when I'm going to block you. And that's only happened a couple times. Man, my my fiance, my fiance, when she had Twitter, she got rid of it because she's she's a smarter person than all of us. Hmm. Uh, she she basically she found out. So when I was living in D.C., I, I'm a big fan. You know, I'm a big paranormal guy, sci-fi horror. I wanted to go see uh, a live recording of. Of lore, which is a big podcast in that sphere. It actually had a TV series on Amazon Prime. I love that stuff. And it's run by a guy named Aaron Mankey. And Aaron Mankey is one of these like limp wrist liberal morons who went ahead and jumped into a blockchain and blocked thousands of fans. And I went on Twitter to tweet at him that I, I had a screenshot of the checkout card. I was literally about to buy two tickets to go see a live and VIP tickets to meet him afterwards, live performance of lore in DC. And when I found out he blocked me, my fiance went and got a bunch of her friends and they started like ganging up on him on Twitter. And he was like, well, you know, it must've been from a block list of intolerant people. And I support freedom who, of speech. Look, who, what are like, block lists? Who gets block lists? Like, block, what is lists block lists are something these blue check mark types have where basically if you hate a certain segment of society, you can go ahead and block anyone that talks or follows or behaves a certain way on Twitter. And he, so if he, you followed like, I don't know, XYZ politicians, that could get you on this list. And then people will distribute that list to people saying, if you yes. don't want to, if you, you know, if you, if you hate bigots, just unblock these people. And then they just assume, oh, I guess these people vetted this list. So these must all be bigots. And then they block all these people. Yeah. Here, here's the funny part. He tweeted out at me basically saying, oh, you know, this must have been it. But he never apologized. He just he 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 doesn't apologize. 
he he says, oh, I did this. And then he goes back and says, but I would never do something like that. And it's just like, you think I'm going to want to support your stuff? And I saw his Twitter and I ignored it. Hates Trump, hates all these people. You know what, man? It's your opinion. It's America. It's America. This reminds me of the Tom, the, the infamous Tom, Tom King tweet when he went after Jay Lee. Oh, Jay Lee, is that right? Oh my God, Jai Lee. Jai Lee. Oh. Jay Lee, something like that. Yeah. You, you have a Korean American artist who, because he's because he's friends with a few conservative writers, he's suddenly a a a white supremacist. A he literally fascist. called him a white supremacist. He I mean, literally called li- him. A white this supremacist. is not exaggeration. This happened. Yeah, like it, we have one, we have w- one rule at the Second Print Comics podcast. We don't, we, we we're boycotting Tom King books, but like, and that bothers me because we both have some Tom King books we like. I've met Tom King twice. I've shaken his hand, and it's just one of those things where it's like it, when you're, and this is going back to my previous point. It's like you have to give some people the benefit of the doubt, and you've got to be consistent with your actions, and when you're not. When you do one thing that is like intentionally targeting somebody in a negative way like that, you're going to lose all their support. And it's like, I love uh, SPC for me has been an outlet, especially during the times that have been difficult for me. Job changes, you know, uh, changes in, you know, my life, you know, lockdowns and everything else. It was a place where. And because, you know, I do a I do a semi-political show and other stuff. My entire life is within the realm of media and politics. It's like second print comics. Well, I think is what has made it beautiful to the community of people who probably wouldn't otherwise ever be friends or talk to each other who have come together and are having a great time talking about something that they love. And even when it has to do with something political or cultural commentary or something, we can talk about it as adults. And if I didn't have SPC as an outlet. I would probably not have that outlet anywhere else in my life right now. And I know that's true for me. And I know that's true for the people who support us by downloading, subscribing, sharing our patrons who actually give us money. It's an amazing thing. And that's what keeps me optimistic about the world. I'm a libertarian. Yeah, that's one part of my life, but there's more to me than that. There's more to you than that. And there's more to them than that. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, guys, stop the rain man syndrome and get (laughs) back into the real world and engage in the things in life you love. Yeah, we know Wapner's on at five, but there's other stuff on too. That's all. Um, no, I mean, it, it's, it's been the same thing for me because it, it's, I mean, that really was one of my motivations for starting it was as an escape because comics have always been my escape. Um, but I, you know, I, I really wanted to like, you know, put more into a project and I was like, I oh, man, I, I don't have time to just read a bunch of comics while I'm trying to start new. And then I had the revelation, wait a minute, what if comics is the new project? Uh, but no, I mean, I, I think what really motivates me with that too, is that we've gotten uh, numerous messages and I, and like uh, Apple reviews from fans who have said like, I mean, so, honestly, some stuff that's really been touching. We've got messages from people saying like, you know, like uh, I have been a, had a really tough time in my life. Life. like people people have lost their jobs uh had difficult uh you know whatever issues going on you know especially within this in this past year that we've all everybody's had a tough time this past year and we had people reaching out saying like your podcast is what makes me smile like your your podcast is what lets me escape when i can finally put something on that's not political that's not reminding me of everything else going on in the world uh and and actually provide that for me and, and I, I mean people that have said like you know i i got my hours cut in work but uh i'm gonna find a way to get you that five bucks a month because you provide so much value to me and that like that's that's what we all need to be doing that that's really the point of this conversation here. That's what we all need to be doing. Whether it's a, a podcast, a video series, I, or I mean, I don't care. I'm, I'm just talking about content, but it could be so many more things. Uh, you could be a, a yoga teacher. You could be you could be whatever you want to be. That that is what is what you want to you know, utilize the skills that you have and the interests that you have and the passions that you have and try to influence others through that. And if if you know if if, if creating something brings you joy, if you know if creating a product or creating a course or whatever it is brings you joy, then there's a decent chance that there's enough people out there that are enough like you that it's going to bring them that joy as well. And uh, but uh, that that's how you get into a place where you can have respectful conversations with people because we have people in the Second Print Comics fan zone who who I know come from different political backgrounds, different political areas, and we don't really get into political conversations, but that's the point because when, you know, when we're all showing respect to each other, when we've all sort of become friends, it's been it's been building a community just like we've built 
built it with Lions Liberty, just like you've built uh, with all your networks with On the Run over at Wild too. Uh, I mean, building these networks, it also builds trust. It also builds a certain amount of respect uh, so that when we've built this respect, when some issue does come up, that's maybe something that came from a story or something that we do have to comment on because it is something in the comic industry, then our opinions have more weight. And our opinions that might have sounded fringe and crazy if they didn't know us, they can actually will say, okay, well, I know Mark and Remzo. I just listened to 47 episodes of their podcast. I know they're not assholes and bigots and all these things that I hear people with these opinions are. So now maybe I'll actually listen to what they're saying. It doesn't mean they'll agree. It doesn't mean they'll agree at all. They might vigorously disagree, but they'll do it Somebody respectfully. Somebody called me woke on an episode. They're like, Remzo's going woke. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just like, you know, man, like it's it, 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 just have fun. <laughs> I, I think my my favorite moment uh, where I, I really inserted my beliefs, I think, pr- fairly strongly, when I came, is I think it's episode four. I'll try to link to that one oh. too. It's, it's Superman episode <laughs> where Superman, uh, he's he's walking around, uh, you know, for whatever. He's going through a, a spiritual journey, I, I suppose. He's he's walking across America, stopping by you know little towns, getting into trouble basically. And uh, there's this one where he finds these drug dealers, and these drug dealers who clearly they're just providing a service. They're just trying to get by. Um, you know, doing what they got to do, not harming anyone. Uh, Superman goes and burns their houses down. You ranted their about houses that down. for like the entire time. Not only that, he burns their houses down. Then he threatens them. He <laughs> says, if, if I hear, if he even hears about it, not, not let alone if it's actually happening, if I even hear that you guys are out here selling drugs again, I'm coming for you. And he like blazes his, his laser beams at them, like basically threatening to burn these men alive for the victimless crime of selling drugs. But anyway, that was my Think how, that was when far, I was I was a pure libertarian. Like you know, the the mask is off here. Think how far property value, values fell in that sound. Oh yeah, oh, I mean, there, you know, there's other implications, sure, economic implications from from this whole thing. When Superman comes and blazes up your neighborhood, I mean, it's 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 not a good time all around. But but I mean, there was that one character from the Max Volume One. She was the freelance social worker. Yeah, right. Who, who, yeah, uh, she was like the 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 diehard liberal feminist, and mm-hmm. she's one of my favorite characters I've discovered since we did this show. Yeah, yeah. It's and she was actually arguing with other feminist characters within that same context of the book. Because, so funny. You know, it, it's not about even like what characters are saying or what their beliefs are. It's is, does this make sense? And does this add to the character and the story? And I think where both of you, I have problems with a lot of what's been going on, especially with Marvel, but you know, DC mainstream comics overall is the attempt to insert woke ideology and woke symbolism as a virtue signal on ahead of stories. I don't care if it ends up there in a good story because these characters are real people have these beliefs in real life so i have no problem if if characters that hold these beliefs exist in these comics and go through some kind of story but when that's the story or that's the lack of story you know there, there's nothing there there's nothing there's no foundation for it it's just complete signaling and and i think sales for both of those uh, companies have indicated that that's a failed strategy i mean the, any book where they try to do this I, I and i could be wrong here i've not analyzed numbers recently but well well the difference though the, the difference though dc got smart canceled half their books because they're like if they're not making profit a you know big parent company at&t is gonna shut us down and go digital it's like at least dc figured it out whereas marvel and i think marvel has been in you know this tendency has been enabled by disney where i don't think they even really care about whether or not the comics make profit they're more like merchandise for the films and stuff like that they don't stop and they double down on it it's just like you know be be consistent and and i mean i go back to like brian michael bendis brian michael bendis is a very strong liberal uh you know i i think his creation riri williams is an abomination it's a fictional abortion of a character it's absolutely (laughs) terrible but for every riri williams he created he created a jessica jones Mm -hmm. he was awesome he created a miles morales who for me is my spider-man because he's genuinely a good version of Spider-Man, and he doesn't have to replace Peter Parker, if anything. Not because he's Puerto Rican? Not, well, I mean, I, I'm a little <laughs> bit biased there. I can't <laughs> lie. But it's like, you know, Miles wasn't great because he had to be better than Peter. He's great because he looked up to Peter and learned that he had to become his own hero. And that's why, you know, many, especially all the kids who get dragged their parents to go see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. That's why Miles is, the, is, the, is a Spider-Man for another generation. Not because he replaces Peter but because he honors Peter by being himself. Very much so. 
It's that in, it's that individualism that goes into it, and it's honoring the hero's journey. Well, Remzo, I don't want to uh, let you off the hook here without getting into some of the other work you've been doing uh, to get the ideas of liberty out there. And so your your current role, your current position is is getting to do just exactly that. You really are, in many ways, living the dream of a lot of libertarians out there, where you're actually getting paid to work and promote the ideas of liberty via the Badger Institute. So why don't you just let us know, first of all, how how that you know how, how that position came about and what you guys actually do at the Badger Institute because as I, as I jokingly mentioned before, I didn't really know anything about it before you got this job. I just assumed, you know, something with rodents of some kind, but I think there's more to it than that. Yeah, so everyone has heard of, well, at least everyone listening to this, you've heard of the Heritage Foundation, the Brookings Institute, Cato. What we are is we are a conservative state-based think tank here based out of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And what we essentially do is we're trying to do the research, we're trying to illuminate the issues uh, you know, regarding policies that are directly affecting the residents of the Badger State. So what we try and do is we look into economic policies, we look into criminal justice policies, tax policies, policies that are inhibiting people from living their most prosperous lives in terms of individual freedom and economic liberty. And what we try and do is we try and educate lawmakers, we try and educate uh, taxpayers who are voters at the end of the day, so that way they have the knowledge they need to come to the best decisions that they possibly can, while at the same time advocating for these things in you know in, in, in a more uh, you know actionable approach. We have our you know our policy analyst who goes to Madison, the capital of Wisconsin, and will advocate in favor of a bill to go ahead and you know uh, bring more police accountability to law enforcement. Or to go ahead and say, hey, you know, why should you get a license to braid hair? And other things from transportation to how the lockdowns negatively affected people in this state. It's really trying to get conservatives to remember, or anyone that just likes to live life without being inhibited by the state, that, you know, the biggest change you can make in your life is not always going to be in the swamp. I worked in the swamp for almost a, a decade of my life. And I feel like ultimately nothing I ever did, whether it was through politics or media, affected anybody. But this is really one of the the few times I can say directly that the work I'm doing by getting to be more of a backstage guy supporting such amazing researchers and fellows and advocates is actually making an effect in the lives of everyday people. Because if change doesn't start in your own backyard, you're certainly not going to change the big things that are going on in DC. Oh, and because, and, and, and because I, I, I'm a broken record, we have a new podcast out called Free Exchange. It's bi-weekly. I host it with the other amazing staff at the Badger Institute. It's about trying to get these ideas that we talk about on shows such as On the Run, you know, Lines of Liberty, all these crazy things that we want to get out to people and try and get them to apply it to a state and local level. All right. Well, that is that, Remzo. Uh, well, <laughs> like I said, you're you're living the dream, much like uh, our our friend Connor Jagotis uh, has has been talking about helping people out there. Uh, when I interviewed him a few months ago, to to get people out there that believe in this stuff to actually be able to get jobs, actually working for liberty and liberty organizations. So it's awesome that you've been able to do that. I don't know how you're fitting another podcast into your schedule on top of all this. No but, sleep. You know, that's that's for you and your and your soon to be wife to, to sort out, <laughs> I suppose. So, uh, Remzo, thanks so much for joining me, man. Um, I'll probably talk to you in a few minutes for a second print podcast. So uh, it's been a blast. As always, keep up the great work. And I know or for a fact you're going to keep on roaring at least every week with me on Second Print Pod. So, Remzo, take care. Deuces, Mark. Deuces. All right, gang. Thanks so much for tuning in again this week. Thanks to Remzo for joining me. Thanks to Zach over at Lauren Zotti Italy for sponsoring this episode, for producing this episode. It's all you, Zach. Couldn't do it without you, buddy. And you too, again, can be like Zach. You can be a $50 per month Nittany level patron. You can produce an episode of this show by heading over to patreon.com slash lions of liberty. Uh, but don't worry. For as little as $5 a month, you can support the show, get access to all the bonus audio content. Uh, whether you're a high roller, a $50 member, a $100 member, or you're just one of our $5 patrons, you are all part of the lifeblood that lets us produce this show without sweating the expenses off our backs, and it means so, so much to us. I also want to encourage you to check out our sponsors. Of course, our other sponsor for this show is Top Lobster. He has some amazing, amazing merchandise, and you can get 10% off your order by using discount code ROAR at checkout. And of course, friends, the fun doesn't stop here. We have more coming at you this week. We have Brian coming at you on Wednesday with his weekly shot of comedy, culture, liberty, absurdity, cursing, all of it on Electric Liberty Land while John Odie Odermatt wraps things up with his 
very, very fun show. Finding Freedom. He's really been killing it lately. Had an absolute blast listening to him and our friend Alan Mosley chat last week. So be sure to check that one out. And of course, as you heard today, the fun doesn't stop here on Lions of Liberty. You can find us elsewhere. You can hop on over each and every Wednesday and hear Remzo and I over on the Second Print Comics podcast. And Brian, Odie, Rico, and Howie, they of course are doing their own project, having a blast talking about anything and everything from reality to TV to crazy patents to whatever BS happens to come up on their minds that week. You got to hear them over on the Boring Podcast. That's B-O-H-R, Boring Podcast. So check out all of our projects, and I promise I'll be waiting here for you next Monday with another killer interview. Until then, my friends. Live long! And live free.